many of you who are here today who have never heard me speak before? How many are there? Really? Wow, okay. Well, watch the other ones have come back. That's pretty impressive. So um, I'm looking forward to this. It's always my honour to be with you guys. Sharon, the angelic-like. And, well, we won't go there. But, um, but these two together with their great team who have been around them so long, just continue to persevere, push through, and this is what I love about my work is that I get to hang out with people on a process. So you're never just in one place and then move to another. You are actually having time to get to know people in the church, the team, some of the uh, faces you see, the children you see them grow up, and then you see them have children. Fascinating to see. I'm getting old, actually. That's what it is, really, to be honest. I came to Europe 23 years ago, moved to Denmark, uh, because everyone has to live somewhere. And... Um, <laughs> Moved to Denmark, and uh, my wife has planted a church there, and we have our two children and our two grandchildren there. Uh, we came 23, 24 years ago because we were told that Europe is the dead continent. It's, it's just dying. And 23 years later, with a new energy from the work of the Spirit and people, leaders, the church is completely different. Did you know in Spain... They are planting a church in the evangelical world, that's including us. Every two and a half days, a new church is planted in Spain. You don't hear that much. You just hear about churches dying. In Germany, they plant a church every six days. And in France, the evangelical Pentecostal churches grew 216 to 217, 15%. This is amazing stuff, isn't it? And here you have a church like yours that... Uh, I remember years ago was uh, doing great things and touching its community, still is, but here you are uh, going into a number of services, and building, all sorts of wonderful things happening for you guys. This is the way it is right now. Well, it's not quite 200, I'm used to touch 280 year, 200 days a year, but I'm down a little now because churches like yours have decided to partner with us a little, and for that I'm very grateful and want to say thank you. You've enabled me to knock a few nights off from the schedule, and uh, I'm, very, I'm very glad about that. Uh, my wife and I came here to do something. We didn't come to have a, a European holiday, you might say, and look at the... You know, I love people who we get into town, and, and they'll take pictures, uh, preaching a bit, take a picture and, of the cobbled stones, and, oh, I love Europe. Oh, I love Europe. And you think, well, if you really loved it that much, you'd sell up and move over here. You wouldn't just take pictures of cobblestone streets. But anyway... We made that choice along with others and glad we did. So it's down a little now, which is great. Um, we celebrated our 40th wedding anniversary just recently. 40 years. Unbelievable. You can get less for murder. And the crowd were there and somebody said, how have you been married to him for so long? And without a blink in her eye, she said he travels a lot. That's what popped out. Isn't that amazing? It's probably true. But anyway, um, life is good. I'm looking forward to the next period of what happens in Citygate Church. I know the future is bright and it's going to be just fantastic. These two, you have no doubt in their tenacity and their willingness to stay with the program and make it happen alongside of great team that have now been here for many years too. And so for that, I'm very grateful. And I'm looking forward to the day when I can, in many years, when I'm really old, got a walking frame, you know, dribbling out the side, they'll wheel me up and say, 
Okay, you've got a little moment now. Hello, city gate. And a little, I'll be back, I'm telling you. I'll be back. Anyway, let's get started on the message today. I'm getting a bit sidetracked, um, as I do. Up here, sidetracked. You have no idea. You think living my life might be fun. You should be in here. Wow. Anyway, um, this week is a, is a great week because this week I'm with you, then tomorrow I'm in Newcastle, and Wednesday I'm in Vienna, and then Thursday, Bratislava, and then I'm back in Norwich. Now, what would you end a week like that in Norwich? I don't know, <laughs> but there you do, you do that. So uh, anyway, let's get started. I, I want to talk about a little book in the Bible. It's only four chapters. It's called the Book of Ruth. Some of you have read it and know a little bit about it. Actually, the Book of Ruth <coughs> excuse me, is a staggering book because you could have been called the book of Naomi, and I'll explain that in a moment. It could have been called the book of Boaz. There's a number of titles that it could have had, but it's called the book of Ruth. So instead of reading the four chapters, how about I tell you the story? Naomi was a Jewish woman who was married and went through a period of time. She had two sons, went through a period of time of drought in the nation of Israel. So to get away from the drought because her husband had perished and, and died, she decided to move her family with two sons to the land of Moab. That's not Jewish. That is outside of the nation of Israel. But she moved there with the two sons. Now, whilst living in the land of Moab, her two sons also perished. But they had just recently been married. They married, one of them married a woman called Orpah and the other one married a, a woman called Ruth. Now, Naomi devastated and actually if you read the book of Ruth from Naomi's perspective, it's a great story actually of how to overcome. She changed her name to Mara. When she went back to Israel, she changed her name to Mara, meaning bitterness or I've had a bitter life. Um, so she struggled herself. But, but she said to the two uh, daughter-in-laws, I'm going back to Israel, the drought is over, so I'll go back home. You have the choice now whether you stay here or come with me. Now, Orpah decided to stay in the land of Moab, but Ruth said, I will go with you because there's something of a kindred we have. We have a, we have a family connection, so I'll stay with you and go back to Israel. When they came back to Israel, both Naomi and Ruth were in a predicament because they didn't have husbands. So they were sort of became almost commoners of the land. They had to work on the land. They had to struggle, and, and, and it was really a difficult time. So Naomi and a few of her friends talked about Ruth needing somebody who would protect her and the family, and maybe a marriage would help fix up the problem that they were suffering in right now, because their life was not going well. Their life was not a good life. Anyway, Ruth is out working in the fields, and the suggestion comes to her to introduce herself to a man called Boaz. Boaz was a wealthy landowner, had lots of money, but he was not married. And, and he fell in love with Ruth, and he took over the family responsibilities of looking after Ruth and Naomi. So they were rescued from hardship. It didn't, they didn't plan that. It didn't go from bad decisions. It just happened. How, how many of you know sometimes some things just happen? They just happen and they're out of our control and, and we find ourselves in a predicament that we can't get out of. Well, this is the story of Naomi, really, and Ruth. And Boaz comes along and rescues them from this situation. 
anyway, what goes on then is, um, as time goes by, uh, Boaz becomes the supporter of the family and looks after them all. Naomi becomes wealthy and prosperous. Things change. But then Ruth herself too becomes a wonderful woman of God. The story of the book of Ruth is about her change and transformation. So I want to read to you a verse in the book of Ruth that sums up what happened with Boaz, Naomi, and Ruth. And this is it in the book of Ruth. Up here on the screen, I have guardian of Abe Abraham, please contact Kids Church. That's not in the book of Ruth. So if they don't show that verse up there, I have no idea what that verse actually says. And it's got, is, it, is it behind? There it is. That'll do. There it is. Thanks, guys. Ruth 4.14. The women, the women, plural, said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you, and here's this interesting word, without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout all of Israel. That's an interesting verse. First of all, it uses this word kinsman Redeemer. I'll explain that in a moment, but it also says this sentence, may he become famous throughout all of Israel. Now, this is a powerful little small book that leads to a lot of things. Let's examine the word kinsman redeemer. First of all, the word redeemer or redemption. This word means literally the act of purchasing back something previously sold. This word is a powerful word. The book the, the word redemption means to buy back and to get it back again. We are redeemed by the blood of Jesus. We have been bought back by him. The second word, kinsman redeemer, you can show that on the slides, please, if you can. Kinsman redeemer is where a relative or another one restores the right of the wrong. So you have the idea of redemption to buy back with a price, and you have an idea of a relative to be part of that buying back. Now, in today's language in the New Testament, that is now speaking about Jesus. Jesus is the kinsman redeemer. What does that mean? Well, Jesus came in the form of man. He came in the for our form. See, God is not cre- God didn't come in his form, he came in the sense of looking like us. He came in our form. God Jesus left and came and dwelt with us. He became a part of who we, he was our kinsman. He was flesh and blood, you might say, but he was the redeemer. People often say, well, why didn't God just do the act of atonement or redemption? Why didn't he just, no, he wanted to be our kinsman redeemer. He wanted to be a part of who we were so that when we go through trials, we know, he knows what it's like. It actually says that he went through certain things. So as he prays, In heaven for us, he understands our trial because he's a kinsman redeemer. Isn't that a fascinating thought? It explains a lot about why Jesus came in human flesh. God leaving himself really to become God, but in human flesh. 100% God and 100% human. Why? Because he was expressing this idea of the kinsman redeemer. That's why the verse that I read before said, he will become famous in all of Israel, speaking of Boaz, but then now speaks of Jesus. Jesus, our kinsman redeemer, is now famous in all of Israel and throughout the earth. We have a friend, a family member, a person of our blood, our likeness, who has become our redeemer. Hello? 
So the book of Ruth becomes a powerful book because it talks about this idea. By the way, four chapters. If you, if you want to know more, just go home and read it. Put it in, the, in, put it in sound in your, in your mobile, on the, in the train, and listen to it and read it. It's the story of redemption. It's our story. It's the story of Jesus working in us. If you're here today and maybe it's your first time here, somebody's brought you along, you're not a Christian, or, or maybe you're away from God even, and, and you just come to church. Sometimes you can think, I'm all on my own in this. Sometimes you can think, nobody understands me in this. But you have a kinsman. Sometimes you wonder what you have to do to get right with God. Sometimes you think, what do I have to bring to God? What do I have to do to get right? Well, the gospel says, you don't bring anything to God. He brings everything to you in Jesus. He paid the price. He is today your kinsman redeemer. He is part of who we are, but he's brought you back with a price. He's brought me back with a price. That price being his life. I don't bring anything. The good news is I don't, you and I don't bring anything to Jesus or God. Or, and that's what religion does. Religion says you bring all you've got. You, you be good enough for us. You do these certain practices. You do these things and you'll be good enough. But redemption is actually about buying back the thing that we had lost and bringing it back into. So God does it all through Jesus. But he's our kinsman redeemer. I love that idea. Have a look at this verse in 1 Corinthians 1.30 to explain this idea of redemption. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Look at those three words, rightness, holiness, and redemption. He has become our redemption, not me. The righteousness or the goodness or the power that I might have in my life of doing things right even holy, doesn't come from me, it comes from him. He brought us back. He made us right. He's our kinsman redeemer. It's a powerful idea. It's so powerful, we miss it sometimes. Jesus is a tack on in our lives instead of one who lives with us in our lives. And that's the difference for many of us here today when you're sitting here watching a crowd of people like this embrace worship and sing with their heart and lift their hands high. What you're seeing is people who have understood the power of a kinsman redeemer, somebody who's paid the price for them. We can't treat that lightly. Look at this verse found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 19. You know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from an empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Have a look at that idea there, that empty way of life. How many people today experience an empty way of life even handed down through an ancestors? What's that? Culture. That's the way we live, the way we've chosen to act and behave. It's some of the philosophies of the world, empty, shallow, handed down through the education system and we have nothing to offer. And then with the precious blood of Jesus, we are brought back. Friends, we have so much to rejoice in, to enjoy, to live for. Colossians 1, 12, 14. Sorry, I'm reading a lot of Bible today. But we believe in the power of Scripture, don't we? And how important it is. Colossians 1, 12 to 14. And giving joyful thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness 
and brought us into the kingdom of His Son, He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A couple of ideas there. We're living in the kingdom of darkness. We're transformed through redemption into the kingdom of light. There are basically two kingdoms, that which is dark, that which is light. What brings us into the light is the redemption supplied through Christ. He brought us back. He paid the price that we might see light, that we might be partakers of the kingdom of light. If your world is dark, dingy, cold, and there is, it's empty, then maybe you need redemption. The price being paid by Jesus, not, not a price you pay, I can't pay it. The good news is I don't have to. He did. And I can receive that into my life and be changed. I think that's absolutely fantastic. I think that's what it's all about. You know, just let me share a little bit right now about this. And before we go on, for me personally, my life was, I got saved when I was about 17. I became a Christian. That's now about, oh, that's 23 years ago. So that was, that was, really? Okay. Okay. So it's the lighting here. And, um, and have you noticed I've got a, uh, a wrinkle up the top here now? I've got them up here, but I've got them up here too. I've got one here. I fell off a ladder in May. 11 stitches in there. Fell off a ladder down on the ground. Unbelievable. You have no idea. The last time I was with you, I had pneumonia. After that, I fell off a ladder. But anyway, we won't talk about that. And uh, I don't know how I got sidetracked on that one. But so I, I lighting. I did. I got saved at 17. Now, here's what happened. For me, personally, up to that age, my life was exactly what I've read to you, as was some of you. It was empty. It was void. There was nothing. It was just rubbish. And I guess I'd done everything you could do at 17 in those days. You know, I lived on the streets. And I was drinking a bottle of vodka neat every night, at least from Thursday through to Sunday. I was sleeping on the, as I said, I used to steal cars just for fun. I was a brilliant Stealer of cars, because I'd steal the car, drive it all night, and then park it back where I found it so the guy didn't know I'd stolen it. How cool is that? So you never got caught for stealing a car. You just parked it back. Don't any of you think this is a good... He's come up with something here. Actually, my mate got caught because he parked it about a block away and the guy realised somebody had stolen it and he went in the car and he got jail time for that. But the rest of us were... Okay, we did it properly. Because you do forget where... You've got to remember where it's parked, you know. Anyway, it was, it was miserable. And my mum, she'd become a Christian. She was going to a great church um, in, in Auckland, New Zealand. And it was a growing church, probably about 2,000 people at the time. It's the same church that the Bobby Houston, uh, as we know, got saved in. And we were in the youth group together. It was a fascinating church. And um, I went along to that church. My mum had been going to that church. She was a, she was a very, uh, what's the word, She's so enamored by what happened. She, I was a professional musician, so she wanted me to be influenced by the music. But as you know, 40-odd years ago, Christian music was really bad. I mean, look at what we've got today with these guys. This is fantastic. The lights, the smoke, the, the sound. What a sound this church has. You go back 40, we had, but the fruit of the joy does love joy and peace, and it was sung by people who just like cats on a hot tin roof, really. It was, it was not good. And she used to buy these tapes and records, put them in the record player and then push it against my wall so the music would go out into my bedroom. Now, being a musician, I hated the stuff and she'd leave Bibles everywhere and she'd talk to me and she said to me one day, you, I know you've got gigs on Sunday nights, every, 
you've had the most of your teenage life. If I pray to God that your gig is cancelled next Sunday night, would you come to church? And I said, Mum, a gig has never been cancelled Sunday night. Pray like you'll want to. It'll never happen. Guess what? Sunday afternoon, the guy rings and says it's cancelled. And my mum heard me say this because we were using those phones, you know, these, these ones with a cord. And, you know, some, I, I saw a millennial was given one of those phones that you dialed like this, and they were trying to push the buttons through the holes. You actually had to do this. And she heard me, she said, has your gig been cancelled? I said, yes. She said, you're coming to church tonight. I went to church. It was a fascinating experience to, to watch these people, young people everywhere. I went home that night, and I'll never forget it. I, I sat on the kitchen bench, and I said, God, Jesus, whoever you are, if you're up there, if you take away, if you fill me with something, change my life, I'll, I'll serve you the rest of my life. And it was like an electric, like a lightning bolt from, from heaven hit me and a straitjacket came off. And I was free. I was redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. I was redeemed by what He did on the cross. I was, and, the, and if you're here and you wonder why people are clapping, because I've experienced the same thing. They've had their own expression of the wind of the Spirit, but it's happened to all of us. There's something that changes. But you know, when you think about the power of redemption and how amazing it is, there's something we need to add to it. I want to add something to it now, and it's called redemption and lift. See, it's one thing to be brought back, but God is in the business of lifting. Redemption and lift means or is the act of buying back someone who then through that act is lifted to a higher place socially, financially, emotionally, and spiritually. God does not redeem us and then push us down. God redeems us and lifts us up. Redemption and lift. So it's not just a matter of paying the price. He starts to work to lift us up. When I became a Christian, everything changed the way I thought. Now, there were still controlling habits I had to deal with and things that weren't right, but he was in the business of lifting all the time, taking me beyond where I could go to greater things. That's the nature of God. Think about it this way. You think about it this way. Imagine a person walks along and they fall into a pit filled with mud and clay and they're stuck up to their waist and they can't get out. And then one of the great philosophers, Confucius, might come along and say, if you had observed my teachings, you wouldn't be in the pit now. Imagine if, say, a um, Hindu person came along. He might say, and based on their philosophy, better luck next time. Imagine somebody who comes from uh, uh, another faith altogether and and says, just imagine you're not there. Even some of the the modern uh, communicators say, just imagine you're not there. But Jesus reaches down into the pit, pulls you up, puts you on the rock, washes you clean, sends you on your way. That's the difference. That's redemption and lift. And we sometimes are so excited and enamored by redemption and how powerful it is and we should be. But we forget about lift. That in everything that happens in our life, God is in the business of lifting us. Yeah, but that's not my life. My life hasn't been gone like that or it's gone down. Yeah, you know, no life does this. Life tends to do that. But I'll tell you right now, I've been doing this 45 years as a Christian. I haven't Look back on anything. I haven't left the faith at any time in that time. From where I was then to where I am now is a total lift. 
when I look at my family, when I look at my finances, when I look at my spiritual life. If you stay the course, there is total lift in everything he does. It's con- Now, there's dips in that. I'll explain it in a moment. But God is in the business of lift. I love that about his redemption. We can hover around redemption, but we can enjoy the lift. Have a look at some verses quickly. First one is we're lifted in position. Ephesians 2, 4 and 6 says, But because of his great love for us, God, who was rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is grace, it is by grace that you are saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly places. Now you can transfer that verse to being an eternal thing. You can say, well, the heavenly places is talking about something to come. But you know, I believe it's about something we're lifted to today as well. We can be lifted to a new place, a new way of thinking. The New Testament talks about the renewing of our mind and changing the way we think. What should we be doing? Everything we do should have a heavenly aspect to it. I'm starting to realize at this time in life, it's short, it goes quick. It's just like the the writer said, it's like a a candle, it it just comes, the light goes, and then it's gone. It goes so fast. But you know, if you concentrate only, if you concentrate only on the earthly things, if you notice, by the way, when you're concentrated on something that's not going well in your life, when there's a question mark, when there's issues, how your eyesight tends to go down, literally. You'll walk along the road and instead of looking up, you're looking down. You're focused down. There's something natural about us about always looking down. But he has lifted us and positioned us to heavenly places. We have to think, change our way of thinking. Change it to think about what eternity is, how eternity affects us. Everything should be an eternal decision, not a now moment. I have problems in this life today with this feeling orientation or this way of believing that's happening in the world today. Everything's about now and it's about my feeling. It's unbelievable the changes are taking place. I don't know if you saw on the news the the 69-year-old man who wants to drop his age to 49 because he feels 49. Now, actually, he's, he's just trying to make fun of this idea of be what you feel you are. He's trying to make fun of it. And, and I get that point. But here's his point. Today, by court, he might even win that case that he can be 49 even though he's 69 because it's all about how you feel. Well, I want to help you here. It's all about what heaven says, not what I feel now. We have to make decisions based on what I know is right in heavenly terms. We have to lift our thinking up from the floor of life to the ground and lift it beyond. That's lift. He has lifted us in our thinking. Anybody can start doing this. You just start thinking differently. You start thinking a different way. We are, in the second moment, also lifted through our decisions. No one has left homes, brothers or sisters. This one's, I I chose this first because it's unique to me in many ways. Or mothers or fathers or fields for me or the gospel will fail to receive 100 times in this present age. Here's the challenge today. People think if you give something up, you can't get it back and you lose. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus said if you make good, right, biblical decisions, you'll be lifted. That's what that verse verse says. 
I have lived in three countries, born in New Zealand, moved to Australia, and then to Denmark. Do you know, when we moved to Denmark 23, 24 years ago, to be honest, we left a great position in Australia. We, we were running a big Bible school. It was well-known. Things were going very well. We left because it was going well, and we left because we wanted to come to where it was a bit harder. My wife and I are people who love to work at the coal face, and we pray, God, take us to the hardest place we can go to. I'm not praying that prayer ever again because we ended up in Denmark, and it's quite hard work. But she's planted a church there, and she's chipping away. That's, that's the nature of who we are. But when we arrived there with our teenage kids, you know, the, the people who invited us to come, it was another Bible school, they gave us a nice home. It was quite good. And we settled in. We had to pay for our transport costs to move over quite costly. And I remember sitting down with the children saying, guys, this is the last time we'll ever eat out again. We can't afford it. This is the, the, we won't be doing those things. We're on one salary now. Things are going to be quite different. You won't be able to get the clothes you used to. You won't be able to. And, you know, that was the thinking because I, didn't rem- I forgot the lift of a good decision. Well, within three months, of course, we were better off than when we started. We were doing better than when we started because God honors good decisions. And when you make a good decision, this is what he does. He lifts you. Well, I'd love to serve on teams, but I have to give up this amount of time and I have to stop doing that. And I'd like to, but if I did, well, you've forgotten the lift. If you make a good decision to serve, then you'll find there's a lift in that decision. And there's something that happens in your world that you can't get any other way because God's in the business of lift. He's not leaving you where you are. Every good decision you make has lift at the end of it. It might seem like that decision's gonna cost you. It might seem that you're gonna lose, but look what he says there. I will return to you a hundredfold in this life. Wow. I love that about God's Because then I have, now you don't make a decision for that result. You don't say, well, if I make this decision, God's bound to lift me. Actually, that's not what happens. You make the decision because you know it could be quite costly, but you go into it knowing God is a God of lift. And if we don't have that thinking in our head, we see him as God of saviour, but we never see him the God of lift. We never see him the one who wants to raise us up and take us to the next level. Here's another one. Lift for power, Acts 3, 6 says this. Then Peter said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. This is the story of Peter walking out after receiving the power of the Holy Spirit. We call it the baptism in the Holy Spirit or receiving uh, the nature of the Holy Spirit in us. It's a very special thing. And they received it in the upper room. He walks out, he meets a man. This man is needing healing, so God is in the business of lift. And he says, "What I, I don't have silver and gold, but what I do have, what I just received there, I give it to you. And the man gets up and he starts, he's healed, jumping in. But here's this thing. Today we hear a lot about powerless people. It's almost like a catchphrase. I just feel at work, I'm powerless. I feel at home, I'm, I'm powerless. I feel I don't have any power anymore. I have no control over my environment. Do you know sometimes that is true, but it's not in the message of redemption and lift. Because in every moment you face, you have power. I have power. It's a power of the Holy Spirit that can change atmospheres. It's a power that can reshape what's happening. It's a power that I must never forget. For greater that he that is in me than he that is in the world. 
we must never forget that lift of power that comes to us through Jesus anointing us with His presence to do life well. My time is going. Let me read the last one. We have lift in tough times. Romans 8, 28. You'll probably know this verse. And we know all things work together. All, we know in all things God works good for them who love God. All things work together for good. You know, when you're going through a tough time, you didn't sort of want it to happen. It, it was a thing that just happened. And you can sometimes go right down there. What is God doing? Questioning him. What is, what's happening here? What's going on in my world? But you've got to remember lift because God will never take something that happens in our life and not cause lift to come in your life. Everything that happens in our life is not predetermined by God, I don't believe, but he predetermines goodness in it. That's a different thing to predetermine it to happen, to predetermining goodness. And he wants to turn it around. The gap between receiving that understanding of lift and the experience is just a matter of time and attitude. The more time you have with the better attitude, you start to discover lift. Then you look back and say, I now understand what happened there, and God lifted me through that circumstance. He has lifted. I love to hear the stories, and you hear them all the time, of people who suffered immense tragedy. And I'm not talking about Christians now, but sometimes they do it better than us, to be honest. But they have suffered immense, and then they start a a um, charity of some sort to help others who go through the same things. And they end up raising multiple millions or sometimes people to rise up and help with that very thing that was their tragedy. Tragedy. Sometimes they get lift better than we do. Come on, this is our thing. Lift is about us, not about them. Lift is about how we live. And I've met Christians who, who forget tragedy, just got offended by somebody or stub their toe on the chair on the way out and they're hurt now and they haven't got over it for 20 years. And you think, what's happened to redemption and lift in your life? Because it's time and attitude. The closer those two things work together, the quicker you are to experience lift. Jesus has redeemed us, but never forget his lift. I want to pray now and close this service. And I just want to say this. There may be people, are you coming to do the music so that I get off the platform? Usually you, um, usually you come earlier than this. So you must have got caught up in the message, just oh, time to go. You're doing a great job up there, I might add. What sort of whale music have you picked today? Something, you, know, you know how it goes. Anyway, she's telling me, usually they come up before you finish and that says get off. In this case, she's been gracious. I want to just say this to the peop some people out there today. Maybe you don't understand either of these two concepts, redemption or lift. But maybe you do understand this. I need something. I can't do this on my own. I need help in this. Or maybe you're not lifted at all. Your life keeps going down. It gets emptier and emptier. It might be filled with things. And you might have seen some great things happen here and there. Promotion of job, more income, better things. But something inside says, actually, it's, I got all that stuff, but it's not making me go up. I'm still feeling pressed down. That's because you need the Redeemer. You need the one who paid the price that you can't pay, I can't pay, to say, oh, by faith, I just receive what He's done into my life. So when I pray today, I'm going to pray very quickly in a moment. And I want to, when I'm in this prayer, well, I'm going to count to the number three. And when I get to the number three, 
There's going to be people here today who will say, Scott, I need that in my life. And I'm going to ask you to raise your hand when I count to the number three and say, you're talking about, I need redemption. I need to be changed. I need to start anew. I can't keep living this way. You know, when you're in stuck in the sea or you're out in a rough sea, the first thing you'll do is raise your hand, help. Somebody will come along and pull you out of that experience. That's, that's Jesus doing that. And that's that moment of faith where we just cross the line and say, Lord, take, take me, lift me up. And that's exactly what He wants to do. He doesn't want to take you by the head and push you under. He wants to pull you up, out of that thing. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You today for that wonderful story of Ruth, Naomi and Boaz and the things that mean so much to us today, written maybe a couple of, more than thousands of years ago, but it means so much to us today. And there are people in this crowd here, Lord, who need an opportunity just to cross the line and say, I need redemption and lift. Just while eyes are closed, just while you're sitting there and meditating and giving people a bit of space, let me ask you this question. Do you need the good news? Do you, are you, or are you just perpetuating bad news? Is your life empty and shallow? Is it, has it just like you said, it's just like all my family in my life? Or today, would you say, I want to cross the line? I don't really understand it all, but I know I need somebody who understands me who will buy me back. That's your kinsman redeemer, Jesus. So here we go. One. Those of you here today who don't know Jesus, you've never asked him into your life. It's you I'm talking to. Not asking you to understand it all, but be ready to reach out. Two. Those of you today who are backslidden away from God, maybe not walking with Him. And, and you know this message, but your life is not lifted. And it's time to come home. Here we go. Three, just lift up your hand now if that's you and you'd say, I need the Redeemer in my life. Quick, thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Quickly, just lift up your hand and say, I need that now. Thank you. Another one. Anybody else? Quickly, we, thank you. Anybody else? This is your moment, your time for Him to do His work of redemption. Are there any others here? There's about four people who have responded and I need to close the service down as you, you can guess now. But if you'd like to join these people quickly and say, I need to reach out, quickly raise your hand right now and we will help you on that journey. Anybody else? All right. There's a number of people here today who have responded and what I'd like to do is pray a simple prayer with those four, but right where you're seated, but let's do it all together. When you've made a decision like this, you need to pray sometimes. Talk to God, that is. And I think we can do that with you. I'm going to help you with that. So what I'd like to do with those who raise their hands to just pray a prayer and you repeat it after me. To help you, we're all going to say the prayer. But that's a prayer of commitment to God. Does that make sense? So let's all do that, especially those who raise their hands today. Here we go. Lord, I come to you now. I give you my life. I thank you for Jesus who understands me but who paid the price that I have been brought back that I can be made whole through the blood of Jesus through the work on the cross I receive him now in Jesus name Amen Let's give those people a big hearty clap clap offering right